You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we will delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation, the financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to TC's podcast on the go. I'm Chin Hui Ng, Program Director from Toronto Centre. When the pandemic hit in March 2020, the shift to remote work quickly became a defining feature. According to Stats Canada, the number of Canadians working remotely across all sectors jumped from 10% pre-COVID to about 40% as of May 2020. And the situation is likely to be similar all over the world. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Jerry Lewis, a longtime partner of Toronto Centre, who also finds himself in the same situation as many people and organizations in working remotely. So welcome back, Jerry. Thank you, Chen Wei. It's wonderful to be back. Hello, everyone. Could we start by having you introduce yourself and your association with Toronto Centre and with the financial supervisors whom we work with? Absolutely. Um, I've had the fortunate opportunity to work with Toronto Centre actually almost since its inception in uh, 2000. And, uh, and I guess through the 21 years, I've worked with them in a capacity from a facilitator, to working with them on marketing and communications and some strategic initiatives as well. And one of the things I always say when I'm in front of supervisors and regulators, when we're doing some uh, programs with them, I'm the first to say I'm not, I'm not a supervisor or a regulator. Um, but I bring with me in terms of leadership, management, uh, competencies that I bring to their programs. Having said that, Chinwei, I think that after 20 years of working with Toronto Centre, I, I am pretty sure I know quite a bit about risk-based supervision, on and off-site supervision, uh, crisis preparedness resolution as well. So technically, I guess I could be an honorary supervisor and regulator. Yeah, let's bestow that title on you, honorary. That sounds good. <laughs> yes. You might have heard Jerry in our episode 40 on managing supervisory teams remotely. And in that episode, we discussed how financial supervisors can stay connected and function as a team even while they are working remotely. So do check out that episode if you have not already. Now today, we are taking a deeper dive into what it means for the individual uh, in terms of productivity and also mental well-being to work for prolonged periods at home. Now, Jerry, um, remote work in the sense of working away from the office may not be such a new concept for some of our financial supervisors. You know, for financial supervisors who conduct on-site inspections, for example, you know, they might find themselves away from their offices and their desks and working remotely, so to speak, uh, with their team uh, in the sense that they will be camped out at the premises of the financial institution for maybe weeks at a time. Now, today, of course, we are talking about a very different concept of remote work, literally working where you live. 
And instead of having our colleagues around during the workday, depending on our particular circumstances, we may be alone, we may be with family, we may be with our pets. And it becomes really hard to draw boundaries, both physical and mental boundaries between work and home. So Jerry, let's start by comparing and contrasting living at work versus working from home. Thank you, Chinwei. You're absolutely right. I think, first of all, your point about uh, remote work is not new. That is something that I think every organization has either um, implemented as part of their structure or have experimented with it. So that's not new. I think what's new is that really around March, mid-March in 2020, I think the world was put into an imposed work from home. It, it, it was no longer a choice. And even though remote work is not new, that imposition changed the way we think about remote work. So I think that on that day or on that week, depending on where you live, remote work changed. We no longer had that choice. We used to have a choice. We no longer had it. So suddenly that was the norm. So that was number one. I think that was the catalyst to changing the perspectives of what remote work is. Now, you're going to fast forward 15 months and a lot has happened in the last 15 months. And uh, the term you just mentioned before the question of are we really living at work versus working from home, I think is a very interesting way of putting it. And the living at work tagline, if you will, I saw from a Harvard Business Review an article and in, in that more and more people are feeling as though they're living at work. And, and let me just define that a little bit. I guess, you know, working from home is what we've been calling it for 15 months, and that's still what we call it, working from home. But when you talk to people about what their experience is like, it doesn't feel like they're just working from home. It actually feels like they've brought their family to work. So that's why they're calling it living at work. So it feels like, you know, you know, every day now, I am never surprised when I see a spouse in the background, children running around, children wanting to be on camera, pets jumping on people's laps, things, construction happening behind you. So it feels as though we brought our family to work. And that's, I think, is the challenge because there is no longer that separation and the feeling of I'm juggling my life in my work 24 seven. So that's how the live at work has kind of come into play. So what I'm hearing Jerry is that first, we no longer have a choice and we might you know, seem to lose a little bit of the autonomy. And second, uh, perhaps a little bit of loss of control. You know, you're bringing your family to work, not one day a year, but every day of, of your work day at least. So how, how does that feel? How did we get here? Well, you know, I, I think how we got here is the fact that we, it's part of that imposition. We were forced to make this happen. Uh, it was literally overnight and we all experienced it. We all remember what it was like back in March, 2020. So I think how we got here is our first mode was really, and I don't mean to make this overly blunt, but it really was about survival. It's like, how do we keep things going? How do we keep business as usual in whatever organization we worked in, whether that's a central bank, whether that's a supervisory regulatory authority, or whether that's my, a type of my company where it's about communication, marketing, and strategy. 
It's how do we keep the lights on? So that's how it happened. So we were really surviving. And in that survival, we had to adapt to whatever was happening around us. So that's, that's how we came to be. And I think the challenge now, after 15 months, and we know that even though people are talking about going back to work, that's going to be a journey as well. So right now in this middle period, I call it, how do we go from surviving to thriving in this sort of remote work environment? So it's where we are. It's how do we do it better? Hmm. Just picking up on that point, Jerry, so it seems to be a matter of um, moving from survival to thriving in this new environment. So then let's talk a little bit about productivity then. Uh, are we spending more time at work? And are we more productive because we are working longer hours? I think that's a really good question, Chenwe. I think one of the first reports I recall reading let's say in May of 2020, when this all started, was everyone was talking about how productive things were, despite the fact that people were working from home. And then later on, we, we in fact, throughout the past 20 months, we didn't hear anything about dropping of productivity. We also heard that, you know, many employees are saying they enjoy working from home. There, there, there's, there's quite a, there's a, you know, they have found a nice sort of pattern in working from home. So I think that's the good news of remote work and whether you call it living from home or, or working from home. There's there's definitely productivity happening. There's some balance happening. I think when we talk about the pure term of productivity, though, from a business perspective, it is important to look at all the data points of what productivity is. Because when you look at productivity, it's not just about outputs. That's one part of productivity. Another part of productivity is really from an employee side, how are they feeling? What is their mental state? What is their stress level? Because ultimately that will impact output, right? So if we looked at productivity as a whole set of data points, I am not sure if we're all that quote unquote, so productive. I think if we look at one set of data points on are we getting things done? Absolutely. So I do think that this is a little bit of a red flag when we talk productivity and we look at we are productive because we're working probably longer hours. Our days are no longer that traditional nine to five. It might have started that way when we went remote, but it's been bleeding in. And I think everyone listening here will probably nod their heads if I ask them, are you getting emails well into the evenings? Are you responding to emails well into the evening? Are your weekends feeling more like weekdays because of the amount of work that you're doing, responding to, preparing for? So all of a sudden, you know, there's this, there's this feeling that weekends are shorter, weekdays are longer. And I think that that is part of the reason why some people are saying, yeah, we're really productive. But then what is the, what is the um, end result of that from an employee side? That we, we, it's, not, it's not, to me, it's not a huge concern at this point, but it is definitely a red flag we should notice. And we should be looking at when we're talking about our teams. Well, let's stretch this uh, 
concept of productivity a little bit more because you know as financial supervisors we are not producing widgets uh, you know day in day out we, we are really working with people we are working with systems uh, we, we are working with peers in information sharing and so I'm wondering whether we can talk a little bit more about what we gain and lose from working remotely so as you know, Toronto Centre prides itself on working with uh, financial supervisors from all over the world, mainly from developing countries. And you know, just from my personal experience as a program director, in the past, the whole TC team would travel to the location of our partners to deliver the programs. And for the TC team, there is a clear transition, right? Both in space and time. We travel to the country, we adjust to the jet lag, we immerse ourselves in the environment, we see for ourselves the challenges and also the resources that our partners uh, bring uh, when they come to the program. So we, we, we were in the same physical space, we were in the same time zone. Now, when I'm working from home, now I, I do experience uh, a sense of wonder that you know, this is at all possible. Uh, to connect with people halfway around the globe, but I also sense um, feel a sense of remoteness, you know, in in the emotional sense of the word, not just in the uh, uh, the physical uh, distance uh, sense of the word. And th there is a sense of not being so connected because we are no longer in the same environment with the same constraints. And I wonder if we have to work so much harder at building a sense of connection and empathy with the people that we work with uh, for this whole enterprise to be productive, right? And just as an example, you know, in these extraordinary times, you know, the person that you're talking to in the screen could be in a location that's experiencing a really sharp rise in COVID-19 cases. And it's very stressful uh, in the work environment, in the family environment. And we might be in a location that is in a different part of the COVID cycle. And it seems that we really have to be mindful uh, when we interact with uh, the partners on, on uh, since we are no longer in the same physical space on how the environments are interacting with the work environments. So I wonder if this resonates with you uh, when working with your partners across countries and across time zones. I think you bring up a very good point, Chenwe, Jin in terms of you know, the remoteness does bring a sense of number one, the isolation from an internal perspective. So we ourselves feel like we're disconnected. Um, your other point about, you know, speaking with partners and not knowing their situation, I think is very poignant. You know, you're, I'm talking to you right now. I see you in your remote room you see me and we're talking about business and it seems like everything's fine. But I don't really know the situation where you are and nor do you where I am here in Toronto. And I think that that is a, a, the, the danger of not having enough of an understanding when you're working with partners because it's, you know, when we went remote and we started using Zoom and I and I and I and I question a lot of these platforms, what if these platforms didn't exist? And they talk about if this if this pandemic happened even seven years ago, forget 10, even seven years ago, this would be a very different outcome of the way we do business. So I do think that the time zones, the different geographic locations play a huge part in how we how we actually empathize with our partners that we're working with. And one of the things that I think is really important is 
I'm not sure whether we're going to go in this direction, but in terms of not always just keeping it to business. And I think to close the gap, when you're talking about, I don't know the situation where you are, we've learned that once our Zoom or whatever teams turn on, it becomes business. It's like, hi, how are you? It's great. Let's go through the agenda today. Boom, you're back into business, right? And what needs to happen, and I hope people are doing it, is just to start with knowing what's going on. How are you? How are things there? You know, is, is the situation getting better? Is it getting worse? And, and I think that's a really important part that we must put back in to create that sense of remove the isolation and bring back the sense of understanding because that will impact the rest of the conversation as it relates to business. If I know, for example, your country is still going through its third wave while mine is actually everything's opening up, I need to be very aware of that when I speak with you because where your stress level is, is in a completely different space from mine. I feel that we almost have to lift or pierce through the virtual backgrounds that we all put in Zoom. Uh, and all that uh, networking that usually occurs during tea breaks or after hours you know, uh, with our program participants, somehow or other it needs to be brought back into the Zoom room and on screen. Uh, let's talk a little bit about transitions, if we may. Uh, transitions across time, across space. And we are lacking those sort of mental markers as we work from home. Uh, you know, from the, the, the boundaries between work and then everything else or life. So I want to test these terms with you. Since COVID, there have been many new terms that have been bandied about. And two that I really find interesting are, uh, the first is work-life integrators. And the second one is work-life segmenters. And from what I, I understand, integrators are people who are able to transition fluidly from work to personal life to work again. They talk shop all the time. They don't mind answering emails and chats after work. You know, it's part of their, their DNA to, to begin with. And on the other hand, you have segmenters. Uh, these are people who have defined times when they are working and when they are not. You know, and when once they're done, they're done. And then they tend to personal, uh, very valid personal needs like errands and fitness and family outside of their work hours. Now, any thoughts on the whether these terms are accurate or you know whether they are a good framework to, to see uh, work styles of various people? And perhaps, you know, if you don't mind, you could share with us um, which do you identify with? <laughs> I, 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 I am, uh, I am chuckling, Chenwei, because these terms are, I think, very accurate of how people work. So, for example, work-life integrator, as you mentioned, are people who they, they, they live to work. It's just, it's just, it's really in their DNA. So they're, you know, over dinner, over a glass of wine, they see an email, they, they respond to the email, a text comes in, they respond to a text. Whereas the segmenters are really very much people who have, for, for whatever reason or whatever justification, they basically said at this time, I have stopped working. And, and there are many, and there are many different ways in which they 
um, demonstrate that, whether it's putting the phone down, unplugging their phone, not looking at their phone, not doing emails. So to answer you first your question, which I'm, I'm dying, I'm sure you're curious which one I am. You should probably talk to my team because they can probably within a split second tell you which one I am. I'm definitely an integrator. I, I live to work. I my, my phone is usually with me at all times, except for when I sleep. Um, but other than that, my phone is always with me. Do I check it all the time? I try to separate it, but it's very difficult. So I do respond a lot to whatever channel comes in, whether it's email, text, WhatsApp, whatever platform that is. So I'm definitely an integrator. But I think these terms are good to use because number one, whether or not you identify with one or the other, I think it's important to be aware of them. I think that's a really important part to almost ask yourself, you know what? I never really thought about it, but I am more like this versus that. And I think the awareness is the first part of knowing what you should do more of or what you should do less of. And that awareness, I think, is particularly important for um, our listeners who would be leaders and managers in their respective agencies. Uh, I can really see a potential conflict in the workplace when an integrator type boss emails a segmenter employee on the weekend, you know, uh, saying do this, do that. <laughs> and um, my, my, my yes. team members must have been ta talking to you, Chen Wei. Is that what? Is, is, they're probably telling you that's what's happening with me. <laughs> oh, I had no clue that this was accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you know, I mean, uh, this, as managers, I think, you know, what you said, uh, Jerry, about having awareness, self-awareness first, and then awareness of your uh, staff style, uh, each of them, um, what they prefer, uh, is, is really important for the team to work effectively together. Absolutely. I think the I, one thing I want to mention before we talk about more leaders and, and managers and teams I think a really good way to look at integrator and segmenter as opposed to, you know, one or the other, I think it's a really good thing to do to look at it as a spectrum. So on the very far end of one spectrum, we have a real work-life integrator. So, um, you know, someone who literally has the phone with them is attached to their right hand, so to speak, and it's constantly working. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have a real segmenter, which is someone who, you know, doesn't even look at the phone till whatever, 9 a.m. in the morning and at 5 p.m. when technically business is closed, they plug in their phone to recharge for the next day and don't even go near it. So if you look at the two spectrums, that is a really good way to understand the two concepts. And then from an awareness perspective is to look at where you are on the spectrum. I think that's going to be really important because it's only when you can see where you are along the spectrum, do you, can you then say, this is, you know what, this is getting a little bit out of control. I need to scale back towards a bit more this way. Or, you know, I realize I'm always behind in my work. I can't shut off at five because the next morning when I open it at nine, I am flooded with emails and I get stressed by 915. So then you might then say, well, as a as a seg as a segmenter, I need to dial it up a little bit to become more integrated so I can balance this a little bit better. So I think looking at it as a spectrum is going to be critical. Your question about leaders and managers um, and how to you know really work as a team in terms of this spectrum, I think is a very good question. 
It starts with awareness. Where am I? Where's my team? Where are my partners? And from there, you can say, you know what? If I recognize that I'm a true blue integrator, phones stuck to my hand, but my team as a true blue segmenter, there needs to be a conversation. There needs to be a conversation to say, how do we meet somewhere in the middle where I'm not frustrated with you and you're not fed up with me? And I think that that's the, you know, one of the things that we talk about beyond just remote work is effective communication. Right now is probably the most important time to not just communicate necessary information to get work done. It's important to communicate how we can work better together. So whether or not, you know, you're talking from a supervisory perspective, central bank perspective, or myself from a private sector perspective, it's exactly the same. If we don't communicate effectively, we're not going to find that middle ground. And when I, and I think the operative word here is effectively, because I don't think there's any shortage of communication channels. We are inundated with ways in which we can communicate. Phone, text, WhatsApp, any app, email, Zoom, platform, Teams, whatever you want. There is no shortage of communication channels, but it's the effectiveness of the communication that's going to be key. So with regard to leaders and managers, know where you are, know where the other individual is, figure out what's going to work best and talk about it. Yes, I think also part of effective communication is really to um, make explicit your expectations of the team. And also, I think vice versa, to, to listen to the team on what their expectations of you are uh, as, as the supervisor. And you know, actually, I was thinking while, while you were speaking, Jerry, that perhaps you know, these boundaries are also fluid integrator and segmenter because it really depends on what your the demands of your job as a financial supervisor are so if i am a financial supervisor who's handling a, a financial institution or even a financial sector in crisis then there's no way that i can do my job effectively as a segmenter i can't say that you know crises only happen from 8 a.m to 6 p.m. my time and, and you know, we all take a break uh, during the weekends. It just doesn't happen that way. So I, I'm sure that, you know, as a responsible uh, financial supervisors, uh, whether the, the inclination is to be a segmenter or not, uh, when duty calls, I'm, I'm sure our listeners will, will step up to, to take on the roles and uh, as integrator or segmenter, whichever serves the uh, the, the public uh, cause that they are serving uh, best. Absolutely. I think to your point about the, you know, the crisis is a ex perfect example. I think, though, there are a lot of people who are not quite aware of how to have that conversation to bridge the gap between their approach and someone else's approach. So if I'm a integrator, I, you know, we're human beings. We assume that everyone is like us. We're going to, I'm going to assume that everyone has a phone attached to their hand and they're always checking their email. The reality is it's not. So, so it's, it's one thing to number one, know who you are, understand that not everyone operates the same way you do. I know that sounds so simplistic, but it's a big reality that we need to constantly think about. 
then the sec the most important thing after that is to then say if that's the reality i'm not about to become a segmenter but how do i work with my team in such a way that we find a happy medium and for example i'll give you one uh we have we have we work with someone a client and on their signature line of their email uh, so it's it, so it's an, on every single email that they send the line is my work hours may not be the same as yours so please don't feel the obligation to respond at the time that i send this message now that is a really interesting message because it's recognizing that when this message hits my inbox if it's outside my work hours I may not need to feel the urgency to answer it and they understand. So in a, from a supervisory and regulatory environment, we may not have that much of a latitude because there are certain things that are very time sensitive, but I do think as a team to be able to communicate with your team to say how are we going to operate? How are we going to deal with situations that come in? What is our mode of communicating and working in this environment i think is a really important thing to set up front i really like the statement that uh, you mentioned just now it's i think quite an exemplar of uh, clear communication and also setting expectations right right up front so now i'm wondering jerry perhaps we can move to gazing a little bit into the crystal ball um, more and more people are hopefully getting their vaccinations and there is talk of returning to a more normal way of life and returning to work as work used to be but at the same time we are hearing that there's only a small percentage of employees who really want to go back to pre-covid type of work arrangements uh, you know survey after survey have found that the majority want to keep some elements of working remotely and to make it a permanent part of their work lives so what are your thoughts on how it will play out I think it's I think it's first I I thank you for setting the question up as a crystal ball because no one really knows. But I do feel and from everyone I've spoken with we will we are not going to be returning to the pre-COVID situation. I think that there there has been too much that has and 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 there's many reasons why a lot of people are saying we're not going back to the pre-COVID situation. There is a health reason, so the fact that you know, COVID is not technically gone. There, there is going to be, you know, there is still risks out there in terms of you know whether or not a, another variant of coronavirus is out there. So there's always that sort of health concern factor, but that's just one factor. I think another reason why people are saying it will not go back to the pre-COVID work environment is the fact that we have suddenly proven without a doubt that work can be done outside the office it's 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 never been more proven to a point that you do not need to be in the office to get things done now that's to say for certain roles certain positions there are certain things that you just cannot but for but a good percentage of the population that has been proven the third reason why people are saying we're not going back to pre-covid situation is the fact that people are actually enjoying the fact that they can work from anywhere whether it's from home or anywhere they choose so i think those three factors are quite clear to say that we will not go back to the exact way of 
let's call it, you know, 2019 work environment. Um, so that's how I see it playing out that it will not go back to the same. How will it look? I don't really know. I think there's going to be a hybrid, but it's interesting because just last night I saw an article um, on Bloomberg and it said, this is North America st stats only though. 74% of people would rather quit their jobs than having to go back to work in pre-COVID environment. Now that was, that was an astounding, I don't know how many people they surveyed, but it's really spoke to the fact that people are much more enjoying working in a sort of remote environment. Now, not to say that they will never go back, but they won't go back to the way they were. And the, the article actually further listed the two top reasons why that 74% said they would not go back. Number one, 84% of that 74% said it was because of the commute. People are sick and tired of the commute to and from work, that stress level, that time lost, they can get so much more done from home. So it's really interesting. I don't know how it will play out to your original question. I do feel that the winner, meaning the winning organization, will be the one that actually thinks ahead and says, how do we make this work so that everyone wins? Versus, okay, once second vaccinations are in, let's give it a month. Everyone, we should come back to work. I think those organizations will be challenged from a talent perspective. I feel that we have just collectively experienced a global proof of concept for remote work. And, you know, the ramifications can be, I think, vast, you know, um, not only in terms of work, arrangements, but in terms of implications for real estate values, for urban cause, for urban planning, uh, for transportation networks, do they, what sort of peak capacity do they have to serve? Um, that's probably uh, time and space for many other uh, podcasts uh, you know, from, from other experts on, on these topics. But it's, it's been very interesting, uh, uh, Jerry. And if there's anything that we learned so far, is that things can change in an instant and we are really far more adaptable than we give ourselves credit for. Uh, Jerry, perhaps uh, we can co conclude with some words of advice, um, especially for those who are not still working uh, remotely, maybe feeling a little bit off balance. Uh, how can they find a balance again so that they can present the best version of themselves at work and in life? Thanks, Chenri. I really, I really enjoyed this conversation as well. And, and, and I think that what had, I love your term global proof of concept. I think you should, I think you should just own that and trademark it because I think that's exactly what happened uh, this past year. Um, in terms of words of advice, maybe I can break it down from maybe from a leader manager and then from a team member perspective, I think that th those are slightly two different things. From, um, from a leader or manager, words of advice is, you know, be aware of where you are in this uh, living at work space or working from home space in terms of integrator segmenter and knowing where your team is. I think that's important. When you speak with your team, try to understand their situation, be empathetic. 
And, you know, one of the things that we do hear a lot, and I know, again, it's human nature. When you hear someone, you know, not doing well, whether it's mentally or they're just struggling, it's human nature to try to dismiss it. So if somebody says, you know, I'm really having a bad day, I'm really struggling, human nature dictates that we often say things like, you know, at least, at least, you know, your family is fine, or at least we're still working, well, at least, you know, I think a, an advice I would give to managers and leaders, when you hear your team struggling, be where they are in that moment. So if they're struggling, ask them why they're struggling. What's going on? Can you help? Do you need a little bit of time off? Like, I think that will gain so much trust for you and your team that will pay off in the end. That's really important. I think from a team member perspective, in terms of advice, I think understanding the role you play in the larger scheme of things is very important. When you're remote, it feels as though the only thing that you need to be responsible for is what's in front of you, the task list that's in front of you. And you lose the sense of the bigger picture of what an organization is trying to do or what the organization is struggling with. I think as a good team member, go beyond your to-do list and speak to the team about what can we do to all get out of this together? What can we do to all improve the situation? And I think that built the trust the other way. So if we build these channels of trust from a leadership perspective with empathy, from a team member perspective with understanding of what the larger picture is, I actually think we've just increased the effectiveness of communication. And I think if there's anything that's been taught to us over this past 15 months, We've always said that communication is critical. I think that these 15 months have taught us that good communication, honest, transparent communication is vital to the survival of any organization. So I hope that you know these are these are things that people will walk away with in terms of how they're going to communicate to each other after listening to this podcast. Thank you so much, Jerry. This has been a fascinating conversation. And uh, we hope to have you back on another podcast as we explore the people side of financial supervision, right? And so I'm here today with Jerry Lewis, and you've been listening to a Toronto Centre podcast on the go. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Chen Wei. Mm-hmm.